Dear Heavenly Father, we lower our heads before you and we confess that we have too often forgotten that we are yours. Sometimes we carry on our lives as if there's no God and we fall short of being a credible witness to you. For these things we ask your forgiveness and we also ask for your strength. Give us clear minds and open hearts so that we may witness to you in our world. Remind us to be who you would have us be, regardless of what we are doing or who we are with. Hold us to you and build our relationship with you and with those you have given us on earth. Amen. Our first scripture reading is from 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. When Jesus called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Our second scripture reading is from John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world, and through the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. 
Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace and place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. Sometimes uh, the things we're holding on to are against God's will. And they appear to be greater than what God would have for us. But ultimately are often insignificant. And yet, despite this, God still seeks us through Christ. Sometimes the things that we're holding on to and seeking in our own lives are against God's will, and they appear to be greater than what he would have for us, but ultimately are insignificant. Yet God seeks us in Christ. In 1 Samuel 16, it's a great story up into this this particular uh, passage that we read this morning. 1 Samuel is about, it's about fear and it's about humility And it's ultimately about the beginning of this kingdom that is set up through particular uh, men that God's setting up through kings to rule Israel. But the passage this morning begins with this question for Samuel. How long will you mourn for Saul? The question's interesting for a couple reasons. First of all, the context is, is that Samuel had just, Samuel's a, a priest and a prophet, and he just anointed Saul to be king because the people rejected God and they chose to have a king because they wanted the other nations, they wanted to be like the other nations. Someone that they could see with their own eyes, a person like them that they could relate to that could lead them because ultimately, as the text says, they reject God. But we have a problem here. It's not just that Saul is a problematic king who's arrogant and fearful and doesn't always follow God. But we also have a prophet. It says that he's mourning for Saul, meaning that he is spending time focusing on something that isn't God's will. And in this case, it's Saul being king. He says, how long will you mourn for Saul? I've rejected him as king. Don't sit and wish that Saul was a better king because my will, God says, is that Saul is, shouldn't be king. I've rejected him. Sometimes the things that we're holding on to are against God's will. He says, don't mourn for Saul. I've rejected him as king. Verse one, fill your horn. Be on your way. Fill your horn with oil. 
the, the Samuel had, had anointed Saul king in front of Israel. It's a symbol, especially in, in the Old Testament text, of someone that has the power and the authority of God. The oil and the pouring on of the oil is, uh, is not too different from us pouring water on, on someone uh, in baptism. It's representing the power of God coming on them in a new way, especially in this particular context because the, the person would go on to represent God for the people as a king. But he says, don't sit around and, 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 and hold on to things that are against God's will. He's, remember that God is actually talking to Samuel and telling him his will. We don't necessarily hear God's voice directly, but imagine, imagine Samuel talking to God and he's, he's mourning for what was in the past. Or maybe he's not just worried that, that Saul's not going to be king, but maybe he's worried that he's going to have to be put in an uncomfortable position, which he will when he anoints a new king and Saul is still alive, which means that Saul is a powerful man who who causes his problems. You see, sometimes we hold on to things that are against God's will. Paul wasn't, or Saul wasn't, the right pick. The people picked God and or picked Saul, and they appreciated Saul because of his stature, because of because of his appearance. But he was arrogant and he was proud. And there's a particular part in chapter 15, the chapter before this, where Saul is turning away from Samuel or actually Samuel's turning away from Saul, saying you've been rejected, and Saul kind of desperately reaches out, reaches out and grabs Samuel's cloak, and a part of it tears off. And Samuel uses this as an illustration to Saul, and he says, the kingdom has been ripped from your hands. It's going to be given to someone better. Now, we can look at these stories and, and see them as examples, see them as, as good stories about humility and a cautionary tale against arrogance and going against God. But this is actually going to play into not just a later story, part of the story, but it relates to us specifically. That the kingdom is passed on from someone like Saul who fails God to someone better. See, sometimes the things that we're holding on to, whether it's Saul trying to hold on to his kingship or maybe it's Samuel holding on to uh, a time in his life where he feels secure and he doesn't want to risk that by going against the king. Some of the things in our life, it's time maybe to reflect on some of the things in our own lives that we're holding on to that might be against God's will that appear greater in our eyes than what God would have for us. But notice here that, that one of the reasons why I think Samuel is mourning for Saul because in the previous section, Samuel seems against Saul. He knows that he's not a good king. He knows that he doesn't follow God. He knows that he doesn't even listen to Samuel himself when Samuel tells him something that's actually from the mouth of God. But notice his concern. Notice, notice this prophet's concern who was speaking face to face with God. He says, but how? 
How can I go and anoint a new king? He'll kill me. Samuel reveals what he's holding on to, and it's against God's will. Even though God himself is telling him to do something, he's afraid of Saul and what Saul will do. But notice what God says. He says, take a sacrifice. Now, there's a lot of details in this chapter that uh, might be hard to understand without context. But in chapter 7 of 1 Samuel, which is nine chapters before this, Samuel, remember, is a priest, and he's traveling from town to town, the text says, to, to perform these sacrifices on behalf of the people. And so he would show up at a town, and then he would invite a certain group of influential people, and they would participate in the sacrifice with him. And he would do this. There was a circuit around Israel that he did as a priest. He was basically a traveling priest. And people would bring sacrifices and he would perform the sacrifices. So what he's saying is, is, is in order for you to not look like you're going to betray Saul and anoint another king, take a sacrifice to Bethlehem. And it will show that you're just doing your priestly duties and that you're not actually going against the king. So it's going to help Samuel not look like he's up to something that might cause him danger. See, God is actually, even in the midst of Samuel's fear, providing for a way for Samuel to do what his will is in a way that's safer. So he says, God says in verse 2, I will show you what to do. Anoint for me the one whom I indicate. Again, it's kind of miraculous that Samuel the priest, Samuel the great prophet, who for 16 chapters has been demonstrating his faithfulness to God, is afraid. He's afraid to do God's will, even though God is telling him directly what his will is. Sometimes the things that we're holding on to are against God's will. And what we want, what we think is best, appears greater than what God would have for us. So he shows up, and notice that the people are concerned. They say in verse 4, Do you come in peace? They're worried that Samuel is going to come and judge them because he has been acting as a judge, as a priest, as a prophet, a mouthpiece for God. And, and at this particular time, the people that Samuel has spoken out against namely some corrupt priests that were the sons of Eli in the previous chapters, the people that Samuel spoke against, and now including Saul, have come under judgment by God. And so the people recognize, is this prophet, priest, authoritative figure going to come and judge us? See, they're afraid too. Maybe they're going against God's will. We know from the text that a lot of people in Israel are. The things that we hold on to sometimes, the things that we actively seek that, they, that, that may be good things, that may be inherently good things that aren't sinful, they may be things that we go after that cause us to lose sight of God's will. It's really our will. So they say, "Come, do you come in peace? And he says, yes, I've come to sacrifice. And notice what he says. He says, come with me. Come with me to the sacrifice. 
I'm your priest, I'm your prophet from God, but come with me and participate in this. He's inviting them. One thing I haven't said is, is I, I've, well, I've talked about the context that sometimes we're, we're holding on to things that are against God's will and they appear to be better than God's will, but really are insignificant. And that God seeks us through Christ. But in this story, it's something that, that applies to us too. This ongoing thread of redemption that, that we as 21st century Christians in 2021 can remind ourselves. And we'll get to that in a second. It's, it's a really important point. But we'll talk about that last. But he invites him with... Come with me to the altar. Come, let me, let me guide you in worship and, 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 and allow you to see the truth. In order to, 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 to switch the focus from the things that we're holding on to back towards God's will. And I said we sometimes hold on to things uh, that are against God's will. Things that appear greater in our eyes than what God would have for us. But those things are often insignificant. When Samuel goes to anoint this new king, he doesn't know who it is. And when he's there, notice who he thinks God is going to choose for him to anoint is far different than who God chooses. In the previous chapter, Saul was looked up to literally because of his height and his stature and his appearance. In verse 7, it says, the Lord says to Samuel, don't consider his appearance. Don't see his height, for I have rejected him. Now, the NIV here, it says, the Lord does not look at the things people look at, which is, which is a, a fine translation. But it literally says, God does not see men. He doesn't look on the things that we look upon. It says he looks at the heart. He looks at their motivations. He looks at how they live, what they think, what they believe, what they trust. Unlike God who sees the heart, Samuel is looking, he's looking at the appearance. He says in verse six, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord here because one of the sons, Eliab and two other sons, walk in front of Samuel and present themselves. And notice too, this is, this is kind of more indirect, but Jesse thinks the same thing. Jesse thinks if I walk my tallest, most, my oldest, my most prestigious sons before Samuel, God will choose the one that I think is the most important. And notice that little David, the youngest, the most insignificant, is not there, which indicates to us that Jesse believes that this is true, that what really matters is maybe one's appearance or one's prestige. Saul certainly thought that. He was arrogant. He thought that he was the, the chosen king, which he was, but he thought he had the right to retain it, even though he was arrogant and, and feared man instead of God in the previous chapter. And so too we have Samuel afraid of Saul, even though God is telling him to go and to anoint another king. 
Verse 7, don't consider the outside. The Lord looks at the inside. You see, in the same way that people walked before Samuel, the sons, hoping that they would be recognized for maybe their looks or maybe their, their height or their, their stature. And if Samuel were to judge those sons based on those superficial things like appearance, it should all cause us to ask the question, what are we judging to be good for us based on appearance that appears to be good, that appears to be better, that maybe is inherently good, but it directs our focus from God to something else. Maybe God has a different will for us. Sometimes the things that we hold on to that we really want and that we really care about go against God's will or at least lead us away from God's will because of their appearance, because they appear in our eyes to be better for us, but really are insignificant. Yet God seeks us in Christ. So in verse 11, it says that uh, he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? <laughs> because God told, has not told me that, this is, that, that, that there's a son here that, that he approves of. I think we ask this question too. When we stop and we seriously consider what God's will for us might be and some options come up that maybe God's leading us to, I think we often, at least I do, ask the question, that's great, God, but are there any other options? Are there anything, is there anything else for me that I can choose from? Because this doesn't appear to be good. This doesn't appear to be your will. This appears to be something that is a bad idea. And I think that in those times for me, it's because I'm holding on to something against God's will. And so God's will doesn't appear to be good. And the things that I hold on to are often significant, insignificant compared to what God would have in these particular choices for me. So we ask God, is this all there is? It takes an incredible amount of courage to ask God a question like that. And I think Samuel's probably honestly wanting to know. But there's times where I find myself asking that question to God. And it takes a certain amount of communion to ask that question. And by communion, I mean it, it, it takes some level of boldness. It takes some level of at least knowing that you believe that God has what's best for you. Is this, is this really what it is? Is this really what you would have for me? Surely there's something else. It takes an incredible amount of honesty that I think, and I encourage you this morning to ask. But notice that what God says to him. He says, no, It's not these sons. It's the least. It's the most insignificant son. It's the son that doesn't appear to be the right choice. It's the, insig it's the insignificant son that's out, that's dirty, that's not 
that's not big and strong and, and like his older brothers. He's probably a youth. He's probably young. He's dirty. He's out in the wilderness watching over sheep, which were known to be dumb animals that, that often go astray, that constantly need help. Not unlike you and me. And notice what he says. Go and get him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Them standing and waiting for David to go be selected signifies his importance. It's his, it's his significance in the eyes of God. And I wonder what the brothers were thinking. The brothers were probably thinking, what, what is going on here? Why weren't we chosen? Everyone in the town probably thinks that the oldest three have the best options of becoming king. And yet the one that's the least, the one that's insignificant in the eyes of the world is chosen. And when he comes in, verse 12, it says, God says to Samuel, arise, stand up and anoint him. He's the one. Immediately anoint him. There's a sense of urgency. And I think that that's the calling, not only to the people of Israel, not only to Samuel, not only to Saul, and not only in this situation with the anointing of the new king, but you and I are consistently called to urgently seek Christ. There's a sense of urgency to divert what we think might be best for us back to God's will, even though it looks like a bad idea. Even though we can't see the truth behind it, even though we can't see the future of what God has in store for us. He says, arise and anoint him. Even though it seems weird or different or what you wouldn't expect. And it says in verse 13 that David was anointed before his brothers. And it says that the Spirit, after this, the Spirit of God that you and I now have because of Christ, the power of God living in us, it says the Spirit of God came upon David in power. That he gave him an ability that he didn't have before. It gave him the presence of God. It gave him the ability to seek God's will and to act out God's will, not in his own power, but by God's power. That's why he was chosen. That's why, what God's, that's why God's will sometimes seems to be insignificant because God wants to choose the things that we wouldn't choose in order to prove to us that it's his power that's changing us, that it's his power that's working through us in our lives. Notice that he was anointed before his brothers in, in this kind of ceremonial pouring. And, and it's, it's very, very similar to what happens to Joseph. If you remember, he was the youngest son. He was thrown and sold into prison. He became a slave. He was falsely accused. And then he became king. And he was elevated in front of his brothers to the point where his brothers bowed down to him. Why do we have these stories like this that have these same threads of redemption but also kingship and insignificant people being chosen in the eyes of God? Because it ultimately leads to Christ. God's power demonstrated in Christ. God's will demonstrated in Christ. Sometimes the things that we're holding on to are against God's will 
And these things that we hold on to appear to be greater than what God has for us, but are ultimately insignificant. Yet God seeks us through Christ Jesus. There's glimpses of Jesus throughout this passage. God rejects the people that, or the things that we put on thrones, the things, the kings that we create. And he tears them away and he gives the kingdom to someone better. He gives the kingdom of the world to Christ. Christ who was elevated at the right hand of God is now seated as king of the world because of what God has said. And when we want to approach God, which I think all of us are wanting to do because we're at church, we come and we pray and we, and we are actively seeking God in a, in, a, in a place of worship. Now, that's not always the case, but knowing and seeing your faces on the screen right now, I know that, that all of your hearts and what you've shared with me, but the question might be remaining, how can I approach this God that's holy? How can I be in his presence? How can I go to him? And it's the same answer that God tells Samuel when he asks, how can I go and anoint David the king? Saul will kill me. He says, take a sacrifice. The reason that we're able to go to God is because God took a sacrifice. Not just a sacrifice of blood, of an animal, but of himself. The reason that we can go to Christ, the reason that we can know his will, the reason that we can even turn from the ways that we seek is because he sacrificed for us. And he shows us what to do. He changes our hearts. He changes what we want because what we want is what the Israelites want. It's based on appearance and the outside. It's based on what, what, what logically looks good. But like in verse two, he says, I will show you what to do, but anoint for me the one that I indicate. He's telling us, worship the one that I've declared to be king. Don't worship the one that looks the strongest or the tallest. There's also this part in verse four where they ask Samuel, do you come in peace? He says, yes, I've come to sacrifice. Come with me. That's basically what Jesus has said to us. And we've, we've talked about this during Advent and we've, we've celebrated this this past December. Jesus comes to us in peace. He says, I've come to sacrifice. How do you know? How can you know that I come in peace? Because he comes to give up himself. And then he says, come with me. Follow me. Be with me. Come with me to the sacrifice and see what I will do for you. It takes an incredible amount of trust to go with God, especially to a place like the cross that was a sign of death and execution. What are we judging to be good for us? What is it in our life that we need through God's spirit to ask God what is it that I'm seeking that may be inherently good, that may on the surface not be wrong, 
but what's causing me to divert my focus from what you would have. How can we detect these these hidden pitfalls, things that appear to be good, but maybe aren't what's best for us? I would encourage you to ask, to pray, to pray to God. You see, he's given us the power through the Holy Spirit to think and to live in ways that are unnatural to to what we want. When we're given the Spirit through our trust and through our faith in God, He gives us the ability to see the truth. And when we ask Him to see the truth about ourselves, which we've sought to do in our confession, to be more mindful of the way we are, He answers. He wants to reveal to you and to me ways that we are are focusing on the wrong thing. And what's beautiful about this whole thing, this thing that we call church, is that not only do we ask God, but we can ask each other. And I know that's super dangerous. And it's awkward. And sometimes it's painful. But sometimes we can see each other going after things that may appear to be good, but may ultimately not be good. Maybe God's will is something else. I encourage you, maybe that person's at ICV, maybe that person's not, maybe that's a friend. Ask somebody, do you see me going after particular things that may not be bad, but may not be God's will because I think or some of the world thinks that they're what's best for me? It's a great question. Because sometimes, not all the time, But sometimes we go after things that aren't God's will because they look good. They have the appearance of something that's godly, but they're ultimately insignificant. Yet when we do this, yet when we consistently do this and we confess that because we're we're aware of our nature, we know that we do this, God still seeks us. God still comes to us and says, come with me. I have the sacrifice. That's why you can come. It's an incredible encouragement to us. It's not a finger wagging in condemnation. It's it's, it's a request to come back to the ways that God would have. I ask you, as I ask myself, what are these hidden pitfalls in my life that I'm seeking that may be inherently good, that maybe aren't best. How can I divert back to the path that God might have for me that looks crazy, that looks, that looks insignificant, that looks unattractive? And it's there that in that trust, in that decision, in that choice to seek God despite the appearance, despite the circumstance, despite what has happened this year, That is where God will meet you. That's where God will bless you. And that's where God will change you. He wants to do that in your life. He wants to do that in my life. And he wants to do that in this group of people that we call ICV. Amen. Let's take... um, 
Let's take some moments as we do to reflect. I encourage you to reflect on, on, on ways that you, you and I might be encouraged to um, seek things that, that might not be God's will. Maybe those things are apparent to you. Maybe, maybe you know immediately in your mind what that is, what that thing is. Maybe, maybe you don't. God wants to reveal those things to us. Let's take, let's take a minute to quietly reflect and to confess and to remember and thank God that he seeks us despite the fact that we often do not seek him. I'll pray for us after that. We'll say the Lord's Prayer together following that prayer. So let's take a minute. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you as broken people. We aren't afraid to admit that, that we uh, fall short and, and often do not seek what's best for us. In fact, we often seek what's not best for us, knowing that. God, we thank you for your great mercy in Christ. We thank you that you seek us, that you, you have provided that sacrifice and you ask us to come and participate in those benefits, God. We thank you. I pray that you would increase our faith. I pray that that would be more real to us, that that would be a source of joy and a source of peace in times where it's easy to try to fix things and to seek things that appear to have the answer. God, give us wisdom. Give us truth, yes. Give us honesty, yes. Give us direction, yes. But give us love, God. Give us love for one another. Give us love for you. I pray, God, that we would also reflect the love that you've shown us towards people who do not know you, people in the world that we want to see justice come to that maybe deserve it. God, give us confidence. Give us a great peace as we trust in you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord Christ, thank you for the new year. Thank you for new beginnings. I pray that you would give us a sense of, of hope, that you would allow us to have more of a trust that, that what you have for us is for our good, even though it doesn't appear that way. I pray, God, that we would have a, a, a growing gratitude that you're with us that you've given us strength, that you've given us power, and that you've given us a place at the table, so to say. God, increase that. Increase our gratitude. Help us find ways to see your blessing. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, we pray for Lithuania. 
We pray for the cases of of COVID-19 that are increasing. We pray that, that you would use vaccines, that you would use people's responsibility, that you would use people's concern for other people to help alleviate the negative repercussions of this illness. I pray, God, that you would help people find relief, that you would help people find resources that are needed at this time, whether that's food or money or clothes or the things that all of us need. I pray that you would give us opportunities to serve people and to see the value of, of what it's like to come alongside someone that needs help. I know that we need that spiritually. Be with our church. Some people in our church have been affected indirectly. Extended family members have been sick. Several people were mentioned this week, God. I pray that you would heal them. We pray that you would provide comfort for them. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Forever and ever. Amen. Receive the Lord's benediction. May the peace of Christ rule in your hearts this week. Go forth knowing that Christ has died for your sins. He's risen to glory and is now at the right hand of the Father representing you. He covers your sins. He tells God of your acceptance. And His Holy Spirit gives you the power to live in a way worthy of the gospel. Amen.